So tonight obviously looks a little different. You've got a bunch of lamps in the back and we're going to um, break off into some prayer stations in a little bit. But I want to take a few minutes and recap the book of Genesis. Um, we have walked through that for the past five weeks. And as we lead into this weekend at Catalyst, we are going to look at the life of Joseph. And so from the very beginning... God creating the earth all the way up into Jacob and his 12 sons. Um, we're going to just take a very fast brush of stroke through that. Um, but in that, we have looked in the book of Genesis of who God is. And so I want to focus on that. Um, a lot of times when I started reading the Bible when I was younger, um, it was all about what I could get out of the Bible, right? I read it as like, okay, God, give me something today, right? I wanted to check it off the list, feel better about myself. Um, but when I got into college, I finally began to, someone taught me of like, hey, you're reading the Bible to know God, right? This book is a book about him. And so tonight I wanna take that focus of looking at the character of God that we see all throughout Genesis. He gives us eight personal names, about himself, and so we're gonna look at those. Um, but starting in Genesis 1, we see the foundation, like Genesis 1 through 3, foundational truths about our Christian walk, right? Genesis 1, God created the earth. Okay, that's the truth we can hold on to. And then after that, we see, right, foundational truths about man's identity and sexuality defined, right? We see marriage established. All of that in the first two chapters. And then you go to Genesis 3 and it all changes, right? We know the fall came, all right? Adam and Eve sinned and that was separation from God. And Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned. And then 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, right? These are things, verses you know, but those foundational truths to see, hey, in Genesis 3, we were separated from God. But in verse 15, it tells us, in Romans 3, 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and you, between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so in that it's talking about Satan and ultimately the offspring of Eve is Jesus. Right? And so right there in the very beginning God tells us the end of the story. Right? That Jesus conquers Satan. And he gives us the hope and the promise of salvation. At the end of chapter three in verse 21, it tells us that, um, that God sacrificed an animal to cover Adam and Eve, right? They were naked. And that was a picture of what Jesus was gonna do one day and that he would go to the cross, right? And his blood would cover our sin. And so we see, right, God caring about us. Right? He created us. He set everything in place. We messed up, right? But then he loved us so much that he redeemed us and he gave us that promise from the beginning. We know the end of the story already, right? And so those are literally just the first three chapters of Genesis, but it answers three big questions as well, right? Where did I come from? Right? A lot of us, we could ask that question or we get asked that question by other people of like, hey, where are you from? Right? We know that we were in Genesis 1-1, God created us. Okay, we know that. That's where we came from. Why am I here? What is my purpose, right? We were made in the image of God. We were made to know God and to make him known. We were made to be in relationship with God. That is our purpose on earth, right? Matthew 28, right? To go and take the gospel. Like those are our purposes. 
And then the third question is, how can I be saved from my sin? Right? And we just talked through that of, right, the answer is Jesus. And so those are three big questions, right, that are the foundation of why we're a Christian, of why you have accepted Christ, why you need a Savior. Um, So I want you all to think about that, right? Salvation was in the heart of God before sin was in the heart of man, right? He was always for us. He was always for redemption. And so we're going to look at eight different names of God. Um, I may butcher some of them because there's some, there's some tough words, but I, we'll, we'll try. And the first one is Elohim. And that is in Genesis 1-1, what we just talked about is, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. That is his name that he gives us there is Elohim, the strong creator God, right? He created everything out of nothing, right? None of us can do that, right? We need materials to be able to create things. Um, But it also says in the beginning, God. That is the subject of the whole story, right? I'm not an English major, um, but that word God there is the subject. He is the subject of the whole Bible and the whole story. So it should tell us, hey, the Bible's not about us, but it's about God. The next one is Jehovah. In Genesis 2-4, it says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Right? Jehovah means the relational God. Right? We see that all throughout the book of Genesis is God is desiring relationship with his people. He created each of you to have a relationship with you. We go down to um, Genesis 14, 22, and it's Jehovah El Elyon, Lord God Most High, right? And we go from creation account, you know, to Noah, and then ultimately to Abraham. And it says, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, with a raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, Jehovah El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth, right? And so Abraham goes out into battle, And he doesn't accept any of these gifts, all these different things, because his allegiance and his alliance was in the Lord God Most High, not in people around him and other kings around him. Jehovah Malachi, something. The angel of the Lord. Genesis 16, 7. It says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. Right, the angel of the Lord. Um, And this is right, a special name of God, because it is a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of Hagar, right, who was a servant of Sarah, who was abused, taken advantage of, and sent out and cast away, right? And the angel of the Lord came to her to give her a message from the Lord, right? That is something for us to hold on to, is that we have Jehovah Malachi, the next one is El Roy, the God who sees me. Genesis 16, 13 says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This is another picture of Hagar, right? Out alone in the desert with nothing, hopeless. And she gives the name to God as El Roy. And we see that he is the God who sees us, right? We can latch on to that and know that name of God, that he sees us in our struggles. He sees us in our high moments, in our low moments. He is with us and he sees you. 
And we go on to Genesis 17, one through two. El Shaddai, almighty God. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, right? Abraham saw God as Almighty. He saw God as someone that, hey, he was to be blameless and pure when he was to go before him. Do we see God like that? As an Almighty God, right? That we should confess and lay our sins down before we enter into his presence, right? That we revere him as a holy God. And the last one I want us, we're going to spend some time focusing on is El Bethel, the God of the house of God in Genesis 35, 7. It says, there he built an altar. This is Jacob. And he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. As we have looked at Genesis um, and we've read through this, right, we can't miss who God is, right? We can't miss his character that he's revealed to us throughout Genesis, right? He desires for us to know him. When we go into the word in the morning and you read it, right, are you asking, Lord, teach me more about you today? Are you asking him to open up your eyes to the wondrous things that are in his law, that are in his word? He is the subject of the story. When, um, when you read an autobiography, maybe for school, maybe you, some of you for, do it for fun, are you reading to learn about yourself? No, right? You're reading it to learn about that person, to learn about their life. A lot of times for school, you're just trying to find certain things that you can write a report on, right? But you're reading it to learn about someone else's life. When we read the Bible, it's not just an autobiography. It is living and active. But we're reading it to know God, to know about his character, because we are made in his image. And so the more we know about God, the more we can reflect him. That is our purpose. And so Max read um, Genesis 35 earlier. And we're going to read it one more time. And then we're going to go into our prayer stations. But it says, God said to Jacob... Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers in the day of my distress." and has been with me wherever I have gone. And so as we go into this weekend of Catalyst, if you're not going to Catalyst, as you just go into another weekend, I wanna ask you, what idols are in your life, right? God came and gave Jacob a call to go. But before he went, he went to his people and he said, hey, we have to put these things away for us to go into the presence of God. Right, for us to go to this place of Bethel. And so ask yourself that, right? What are the idols in your life? What are the things that you need to do to purify yourself before the Lord? 
What are those things you need to repent and confess of? And then in verse 14, it says, And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he, we, where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God has spoken with him, Bethel. And so as we read those verses earlier, right, I want you to ask the Lord to give you a Bethel moment. Right, what is that you need to put away for you to have a Bethel moment? And we have a rock here and some oil. And so I want to ask you after you go through some of these prayer stations, are you ready to dedicate, right, to set apart your walk with the Lord, to anoint this rock with, with oil, saying, Lord, I'm giving it to you, right? What do you need to confess to get to that moment? And as we go into this weekend of Catalyst, one of the things that scripture talks about is a stone of remembrance, right? The rock was not just, I mean, it was a normal rock, right? But it signified something that was bigger. It signified the Lord meeting them there. It signified, right, a name change, a promise that God had given them, right? As we go into the weekend, I wanna ask you, what will your stone of remembrance be? Right, catalyst. We've heard that word forever. It's a spark, right? Catalyst is an alternate, a spark that causes an alternate route for your life. Okay, so think about that, right? For all the people throughout Genesis, when they had an encounter with God and he gave them a call and they answered it, their life was changed. They chose an alternate route, right? Abraham left. Jacob went to Bethel, right? Joseph got taken to Egypt, but ultimately saved the people of Israel. What will your moment be with the Lord? But you've got to go to the, to the place of Bethel. And so as we go into this weekend, I want to ask you to grab a rock as you're walking around the room for the prayer station and take it with you this weekend, right? Take it with you throughout the weekend of Catalyst and ask the Lord to give you a stone of remembrance. Ask the Lord to speak to you this weekend, to reveal his, himself to you as we learn about the life of Joseph. And so you can walk away with your Bethel moment with the Lord. And so I wanna ask Vic to come up here and she's gonna give us an explanation of some of the stations and pray for us as we head out. But go ahead and turn yourself into that attitude of prayer for the night. I wanna share with you the meaning of this. I know Grace talked about this, but I wanna, I'm sorry, sorry. I want to kind of shepherd you a little bit and let you know um, why this is so meaningful. Okay, why is oil on a rock such a big deal? And here's the thing, you may not think it's a big deal, but I want you to think deeply about it. You may not think it's a big deal, but it's a big deal to God. What God thinks of you as you pour oil on your rock, like what he thinks of you and what he sees in you is a commitment. Now, when Jacob woke up from the dream, that we read about in Genesis, when Jacob woke up, he simply, he knew that this dream was massive. He had met with the Lord and the rock that he was sleeping on became an altar 
It became a stone of remembrance, as Grace just talked about. And so he took that rock that he was sleeping on, which is odd all the way around, and he poured oil on it. In Hebrew days, that's back in Old Testament times, the meaning of pouring oil on a rock is a meaning of devotion. And it's a devotion not to the rock. It's a devotion to the moment and a devotion to the God who gave you that moment. So literally to pour something out, because oil back in those days was very, very meaningful. And it was very, very expensive. And it was used for a lot of different things. But that oil literally is the oil that is coming out you know, of your heart. You're pouring out your heart to God. It's that symbol of devotion to the one who has spoken to you. And so as you take the rock and you get just a little bit oil on your rock, right? Or you take and actually pour oil on the rock. It is a symbol of your heart and your commitment to be devoted, fully devoted to the Lord for the remainder of your days. That's what Jacob was saying. As I'm pouring this rock, I'm pouring oil on this rock. You're, you're my God forever. You're my God forever. There's no turning back, no turning back. You're my God forever. And that's the type of commitment that this is. Here's what I'm going to do. Many of you are still coming, and I want you to still come. But as you journey through Catalyst this weekend, I'm going to have this rock in the room. I'm going to have the rock in the room. And as a symbol of your moment with the Lord in the room at Catalyst, if there's ever a time where you come so overcome with the presence of God in your life, and you feel like you're having a God moment. You'll know it when it happens, but you feel like there's a God moment there in that moment. And you want to have a symbol of that moment. We're going to have oil and we're going to have rock over in the corner. That rock right there, it'll be over in the corner. And you can come and you can have a Bethel moment just like Jacob did.